This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Beyond Zero is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero-emissions economy. As climate change becomes more apparent, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th-century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero-emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero-emissions energy, zero-emissions buildings and zero-emissions high-speed rail. Podcasts of our talks with a who's who of climate change action are all available at Beyond Zero Emissions. If you have some ideas for this show, contact us at radio team at beyondzeroemissions.org. Good evening, everybody. This is the Beyond Zero Mission Show, as you heard, and tonight it's a special show called Radiothon. If you're a regular 3CR listener, you might have heard loads of Radiothon programs already, but this one's going to be one with a difference. I'm hoping that our community, the BZE Climate Action Community, will ring us in and... uh, I've asked a few of them, some of them are very keen and some of them are really doing it tough. They're out in the Galilee Basin, for example, fighting off the Adani mine, which, as you know, is at political football. And we keep hearing, yes, it's been approved and that it shouldn't be approved. And if we're going to have climate change, we certainly can't dig it up. But there are the people there in the local areas who are still fighting. There are others who've already fought their battle and won. Um, later, I think Julie Lyford's going to call us in from Gloucester. They've actually won and they uh, pushed pushed out AGL gas that was <clears throat> drilling in the land where they have beautiful pastures and um, they foiled, foiled their attempts. So um, listen in and if you feel moved to support us yourself, I hope you will take down this number now and phone us a bit later in the show. We've got a crew of people, three people here who are ready to take your phone calls. So <clears throat> the phone number is Melbourne 03 9419 Double seven. Just take that number down, 94198377, and when you listen a bit more into the show, if you feel like giving us a small donation, doesn't matter how small, please ring that number and people will take your details. Mm. And I'll just jump in here, Viv. I just want to say that I'm in the studio and Andy is too. We've all turned out for this radio song. Um, and yes, it is a matter of no amount is too small. So whether it's a small amount or a large amount, it's the one time of the year that we turn out and ask you for money. So please pick up that phone. It's 9419 Eight three double seven. Okay. Now we'll go. Um, we're, this year we've had a lot of bad weather. It's been on all the media. That's how the mainstream media reports it: bad weather, doesn't it? And they don't connect it really to climate change. But we know better. And we're going to have a, um, a sort of a, a little group of small snippets from uh, people talking about that. And the first one is a bloke uh, called Evan Hughes. He's from the ALP, and I. Uh, heard him speak at a talk. Now, this is in Malcolm Turnbull's electorate. Malcolm Turnbull was not there, and there was a big chair on the stage saying Malcolm Turnbull, but of course it was the empty seat. He didn't turn up. 
um, presumably he was busy being the Prime Minister, but this is the ALP person talking about the vision of the future if we really take climate change seriously. It's a very interesting question, and I heard it mentioned, I think it's fabulous to hear it. Uh, it's very funny, we talk about bipartisanship when we talk about foreign policy and defence. Um, I think the residents of New South Wales along the coast know full well that bipartisanship is absolutely at stake when it comes to climate change. Over the last few days we've noticed that the, the waves are indiscriminate of party. Whether you're a resident of Collaroy or a member of the Coogee Lifesaving Club, the waves and the effects of climate change do not discriminate. Now, it was wonderful to hear from John Houston this evening. Um, it was fabulous to see someone from that party standing up for the planet again. Uh, I do recall the member uh, who's absent this evening once saying he would not lead a party that was not as serious on climate change as he. Uh, he's certainly not leading it, so he's doing himself proud. We talked about the renewables revolution. A renewables revolution, ladies and gentlemen. A renewables revolution is here. It is a simple business decision for these industries. There is little doubt in my mind that the Origin Energies, that the BPs, that the Exxons, they will be the sort of wave technology providers of the future. Renewable energy is the only business option for 50 years' time. Is that too late? Absolutely it's too late. That is why we must be acting now. Now, I am here to talk about our policy, and our policy, of course, as you well know, because it is a stated policy, unlike the Liberals, which still seems to be planting trees, because it is a stated policy, you know that our policy when it comes to renewables is to ensure that 50% of the nation's electricity is sourced from renewable energy by 2030. Yes, I know that that's halfway there, ladies and gentlemen. I know that we must be looking to get further and further down that track. Renewables is absolutely central. We also are looking to invest $206 million in ARENA to support a specific concentrated solar thermal funding round. Thereby, if you want to vote one solar, there is an opportunity there. And we will invest $98.7 million to establish a community power network and regional hubs. Again, things we've been hearing of. Now, this evening is about how to vote solar. It is about how to vote renewable. It is about how to vote for a policy and a plan that is actually going to move our environmental credentials further down the track. There is one party of government that has a plan. I know it's not going to be everyone's desired plan, but as Nikki said to me beforehand, it's great to see where we've come. The Labor Party is the party that tried to get us the CPOS. It is the party that gave us a carbon tax. Mr Houston talks about being disrupted by the GST. We were disrupted by the GFC and we still tried to push it through. We are a party that believes in this very, very deeply. We have Mark Butler, we have Bill Shorten very deeply committed to this. And if you want to vote on July 2nd for a party that believes like you do in a renewable future, we are the option. Thank you. And that was Evan Hughes from the ALP. 
Viv, sorry. Oh, Jane, we're, we're still waiting for some calls, so listeners, please call in. This was my whole intention for this program, to represent the groups that, that we have interviewed over the year, and we've done so many. Jane's reminded me of all the uh, shows we've done this year, and it's been so much pleasure for me, really, when I think how I've got around the country and I've met so many beautiful people. One that I remember was a Psychology for a Safe Climate, where we interviewed three psychologists, and they were talking about a book by George Marshall, and this is one of the problems because climate change is not just a problem of closing the coal mines and all of that. It's about getting our population into a mindset of active, you know, taking some resilient thoughts into mind and and attacking the problem. It's not impossible. And uh, actually tomorrow I'm going to interview someone for a future show. You'll listen to this, listeners, in July, a man called Perez Ben Stockness. So we've done the psychology of climate change and climate change denial and why people are reluctant. You can see in the current election it's not the centre of mind for most of the politicians they're not taking it on unless we force them to so if you're in any of these electorates where they say vote one climate you get on to your MP and, and tell them make it front and centre it is the key key issue of our lifetime of our and certainly for our of future of our world of our world that's yes. right which programs did you like Jane looking back over the list well looking back over the list I must say remember this listening to the workers you brought us where are the green jobs and you had a, a collection of um, people speaking I can't quite recall the forum where you were, mm. um, but I know I know while while that was airing and I was listening to it, I was thinking that this may be radical. But my feeling is we should just pay those mine workers out. Mm. I mean that's that's my sense of it. If they can't find jobs in another industry, which I assume if their industry is closed down, they couldn't due to geography or training mm. or whatever. Pay them out for the rest mm. of their life. Just give them a living wage and, and be done with it. So we were talking about radicalism before the show. I'm not sure if that's radical, but, um, yeah, it was a very interesting show and clearly people's uh, uh, livelihoods are at stake if some of these fossil fuel industries were to, to fade out rather quickly. It'd be cheap at the price, and it's not radical in the sense of something that uh, it's sort of too hard to think about it's something that's very sensible you pay them out mm. and you and you get on with the thing that's going to save your life which is yes. the renewable energy mm. so so that was a particular one that stuck in my mind but we have Stephen Langford on line one Andy I see so let's put Stephen Hi. through hello Stephen are you there hi I'm here yeah 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 <laughs> I'm at the Greens office and um on Parramatta Road. People are going to say I'm getting all my family and friends to ring up. Oh, well, they shouldn't have put the second, given the second name. I should have given no. the false one. <laughs> what did you okay. want to say about climate change? Oh, just to say, you know, well done what you're doing. And, um, you know, there's a very good article by Elizabeth Farrelly and, and Saturday's Herald. And, um, you know, best wishes, you know, the, the ABC should be doing what you're doing. I wish they were. I think they're mm. probably a bit frightened to do to do. Um, such out there. I heard an interview with Greg Hunt this morning, Fran Kelly, and she couldn't get him to, you know. Are you, are you there? Yes, yes, listen. Yeah, I couldn't. She couldn't get him to uh, stick to the question of fossil fuels, and then she let it go. And I don't blame her because it's really hard talking to people who are slippery and determined not mm. to answer. But she gave him two goes at it. I, I think I would have tried him three and four times answer the question yeah. on fossil fuels, but he wouldn't do it. Um. 
Yeah, thank you for that, Stephen. That's really good. We, we're having great fun here and um, we're hoping to have a lot of people ringing up from the regions. And thank you for being the first one to call. I'd, yeah. I'd like yep. to say that to the listeners. Please call us. It's 9419-8377. If you're out of uh, Melbourne, it's 03-9419-8377. And we need you to ring us now so that we can fit you into the hour. I've got a lot of people who said they'd like to come on. And uh, thank you for being the first one. Okay, good luck. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, bye-bye. Okay, bye. So that was my husband, so that's uh, <laughs> revealing my game listeners, but I suppose that's the nature of community radio, isn't it? That's the community. And Stephen's a great activist in himself, in his own way, on refugees, and he goes around stirring up, you know, interest in refugees. And I think these, these are the issues that we don't like to face, aren't they? Refugees, the shame of that, and also climate change, which we just feel is in the too hard basket or we're ashamed that we haven't done it earlier and yet we we need to take the ball by the horns and do both um, radically sort of um, <clears throat> remove the detention centres one and bring the refugees here but number two take climate action and I think we've got another caller on the line. We do indeed and I believe uh, Julie Lyford has been a guest on this show Vivian. Ah, yes one of my favourites. Thank you Julie Julie wrote me a lovely letter when they won their battle. Julie can you tell us what your battle was up at Gloucester? spend $1.2 billion to find out that it was never going to happen. Mm. Julie, are you there? Yes, hello? Hey. Hmm. Yes, no, I can hear Julie, but uh, uh, I, we missed the first bit of what you said, Julie. Just just tell us in a nutshell what the battle was and how you won it. Yes, um, we um, fought um, AGL's coal seam gas development in Gloucester and um, it took us eight years to show that the science and government were completely wrong in wanting to see coal seam gas developed in this beautiful valley. And you did, and it is beautiful. When I went there, I couldn't believe that anyone would contemplate putting down coal, you know, wells, uh, what do you call them, drilling into this land, that there's a beautiful, huge aquifer there that that's, is the resource, the water resource for thousands of people downstream. Yes, um, that's the issue when you've got 70,000 people downstream as well. But mm. I think this is a massive issue across Australia. People don't want coal seam gas because they can see the repercussions on um, polluting water and also land and also the health of people. So, you know, I think the Australian government really needs to bite the bullet and put coal seam gas to bed, so to speak. Um, we've now got this sort of terrible scenario where we're looking at the Liverpool Plains again. Mm. Um, it's just ludicrous that communities are having to fight over and over again against an industry that no one wants. It's really bad for the environment and it's also bad for climate change. Methane is a huge mm. contributor to climate change. Yes, it's, it seems to be not so well known as coal, does it? And we're in an election year. Do you have a, a pitch or something that you'd say to people if they're thinking, oh, I want to vote climate, but I'm, oh, I don't mind this party that's saying we're going to have a whole lot more gas. Do, do you have something to say to those people? I do, actually, and I'll be very transparent here and say that I'm the Greens candidate for the seat of line for the mm -hmm. federal election. Yes. And that's born out of the fact that I've seen now from a federal, state and local government level, I was in local government for 17 years, how policies of the current parties are just not working with, with regards to climate change. So the Greens have the Renew Australia plan, which um, not only would see 15,000 jobs across Australia in design and construction of renewable energy projects, 
But even Dr John Hewson, who at the 100% Solar Citizens Renewables launch last Wednesday in Sydney, I think you were there, Vivian, yes, I actually I met you there. Yeah. You know, his whole comment that by 2030 we can be 100% renewable, that's 13 and a half years away. That's not a very long time. Mm. AGL actually said in by 2020, 50% of their customers would be potentially off-grid because of the battery storage technology. That's mm. three and a half years away. So there's lots of jobs that we can, um, with that Greens Renew Energy Plan, mm. uh, Renew Australia Plan, thousands of jobs. But, but it's, it's the lack of leadership from both of the major parties to actually push this along because they're too busy propping up the fossil fuel industry. Great. Well, look, thank you very much, Julie, and, and thank you for saying your, who, who you stand for because I'm, I think that's a, a success story in itself that you've gone from local local government service to now uh, aiming at, at the bigger stakes. And uh, thank you very much for donating and, and calling us. And your story, Gloucester, is actually my prime example when people say <laughs> we'll yeah. never win. But mm-hmm. thank you, Julie. Oh, look, it's time for change and yep. this is the election. Thanks, Vivian. Thanks very much, mm-hmm. Julie. Thanks, Bye. Julie. Bye. And um, just to say, we've got uh, Peter McCallum on the phone now, Viv. Peter and Julie have both made um, lovely donations, and it's much appreciated. And and as you all know, I know it doesn't really bear saying, because you probably heard it all through the week, but 3CR's a community radio station that's been on air for 40 years, basically self-funded, runs on the smell of an oily rag, and it keeps shows, dare I say it, such as ours, shows where you hear opinions and, and thought that uh, that you really don't get on mainstream media um, it keeps shows like us on air so if you can if you can dig deep and if you listen to us then then we'd appreciate a coin or two from you that's nine four one nine eight three double seven and you've got Peter McCallum there Andy hello hi. Peter hi how are you going I'm well thank you tell us about yeah. Mackay conservation what what you're up to now Oh, well, Mackay Conservation Group's been around for um, 30 years, not as long as 3CR, but um, we've been campaigning on climate change for a long time, probably the entire time that the, the group's existed. Uh, and, and I suppose, that, you know, the, the big thing that we're dealing with, uh, the Adani mine, uh, everyone knows about in the Galilee Basin. Oh, along yes. With all, those other, all those other proposals that, you know, are planning to almost double Australia's coal exports if they went ahead. Uh, and you know we've we've been take, putting up a very fight along with a lot of other groups um, to try to stop happening. And on the other, oh sorry, uh, uh, Peter, your voice is cutting out. Can you speak directly into the phone? Sure. Yep. Can you, is that any better? Or yeah, that's I'm, better. I'm, Look, Adani's yeah, a household yeah. word. Can you just quickly <laughs> tell us what's we're up to? They they're using it like a political football now. Is it going to happen? Are you still fighting, uh, or are you I giving can't up? See, I you know I can't see how it could possibly happen. Mm. You know, there's there's no finance for it. The coal is of low quality. The yeah. Indian government is cutting back on coal imports and planning to end them within a couple of years. Uh, there's uh, you know it takes it's a it's a long way from the coast, so it's expensive to to ship out. Um, all sorts of reasons say w- that it shouldn't happen. That, and uh, really, you know, and, and in terms of climate change, it would be a complete disaster. Yeah. So um, you know, we don't think it, it will happen. Uh, but there's there's a lot of scapegoating of groups like ours saying that you know we're we're causing you know, job losses and oh. things like that. But uh, of course. Yeah. You know, those jobs are, have been vastly exaggerated by the company and, uh, you know, we've, uh, and, and the industry itself 
has been slashing jobs across the, you know the Bowen Basin in terms of coal mining. So, so you know what we really want to do is see the jobs on the Great Barrier Reef uh, protected, the ones involved in the tourism industry. And there's there's about seventy thousand people who work in tourism on the Great Barrier Reef compared to a much smaller number in the mining industry. So we think that you know that's that's where the focus of attention should yeah. be. Well, good on you, Peter. I think because this is you've framed it, you've reframed it, and that's what we need in climate change or climate action is people to say, look, here's what the people who want something to happen are saying and here's how is another way to look at there's actually more jobs in the tourist interest. That's now become common knowledge. Adani has become common knowledge and what you're saying I hope is true that it, that it won't get up at all. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> I right. hope that becomes common knowledge too and, and yeah. I hope there's not too much of a, a bash, backlash to you personally because for me you're all heroes doing that work because it's a lot of, it's real public service. You're doing it absolutely essential public service to inform people. I I think, you know, there's some elements of politics, you know, who take fossil fuel donations to their parties that, you know, do sort of do a lot of, um, uh, you know, sort of scapegoating. But, you know, in terms of, you know, like our general uh, activities, you know, we get... a lot of support from the community here, so okay. you know people are people are on side. It's it's it's, uh, it's more the, you know the, the people who are in politics and trying to trying to you know have their their friends um, propped up are the well, ones who are likely to you know sort of be the most out, out, yeah. outrageous in their statement. Thank you very much. We've got no another worries. caller okay. on the line, and good thank you for you. your okay. donation. Thank you for good work. Don't give up. Keep going. <laughs> I hope you will be celebrating soon. You too. Thank yeah. you. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. We've got another caller on the line. Yeah, well, the the phones are actually running fairly steadily, okay. which Pre- is pleasing. But I'll just um, I'll just give out that number again to keep them coming. It's zero three nine four one nine eight three double seven. So please call in. No donation too small or, of course, too large. Okay. So up next we have uh, John Hewson. Is that right, Andy? Yes. Hello, John. Are you there? Hi, Hello, How thank you? you for calling in. We just had someone mentioning your talk at Paddington Town Hall the other night and how it inspired them. So what would you like to say? Oh, look, um, I've worked, of course, as you know, on a number of fronts in relation to climate change. I'm a bit disappointed that the election campaign hasn't spent more time on uh, on climate, um, particularly when, you know, the focus is on how we're going to make this transition from a resource boom-based economy to whatever. Why do you, why um, you, do you know, think it is off the that? agenda? Oh, I think they both find it uh, more difficult to argue about that than to stick with their, their messages that have come from the from focus groups. I mean, when you're mm. trying to talk about jobs and growth, I mean, one of the most shovel-ready job opportunities in this country is renewable energy. And, uh, you know, there are projects that uh, could really just get started and... Uh, and contribute significantly to both overall growth and to employment, and uh, they're being left, um, you know, by the wayside, really. Yeah, well, you mentioned at the Paddington Town Hall your own project you know, in your business uh, life. You have yeah. uh, got a solar project that is, sounds like it's getting really close to the starting date in Port Augusta, and you had uh, people from both sides of Parliament in Port Augusta, in South Australia, really keen. Tell us a little bit about that project. Well, that's right. I mean, we launched it this week. It's uh, to build a, uh, well, as you know, the Port Augusta power station, is, uh, coal-fired power station, was closed on May the 8th. Uh, 640 megawatts, I think, of, uh, of baseload power. Our aim is to start a transition to replace it with, um, with baseload solar. So we have a, uh, I think we have the best uh, and uh, certainly the cheapest Baseload solar 24-7 system in the world. 
um, using a combination of heliostat mirrors and heat storage and graphite blocks. Uh, it, um, is, uh, I launched it in Adelaide. I had the support there of Jay Weatherall, Greg Hunt and Mark Butler. And what I'd hoped to get was uh, bipartisan support for such a, a you know, viable project, and it was very strong. So I was really pleased. Well, I saw a picture of it on the internet, and the, the graphite block, I didn't quite understand. I, uh, it does well, no, no surprise that I don't understand, but could you explain to the listeners what it looks like? It looks like well, a Well, what square. we do is we have a 10-ton block, block of graphite which uh, is encased and sits on the top of a, of a small tower about 24 metres high. The sun's rays are concentrated right into the inside of that block um, at, uh, you know, with a very sophisticated uh, process of heliostat mirrors. That uh, block heats uh, to about 800 degrees centigrade, so we run a, a pipe through, we run fresh water through it, make steam, run a, gas t- run a turbine, I should say, uh, on the steam, and that makes the power, so we can run that 24-7. It's modular, so we can roll it out in stages as big as you need. The original project is 110 megawatt um, in winter and 170 megawatt summer, um, a sort of stage one project, which we're hoping to do just near Port Augusta, finalising the land right now, for example. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, it will be... See, the problem with sun and wind is, of course, they don't... Uh, they don't... Uh, the wind doesn't blow all day, the sun doesn't no. shine all day. You need heat or battery storage yeah. well, to make it effective and cost-effective. Uh, if you just... It's, Stick a traditional electric battery on a paddock full of solar PVs. They cost about as three times what we can produce yeah. the power for. So yeah. it's um, it's um, that's that's where the secret is. And of course, when they're not operating, um, as solar wind as they are today, they backed up by usually open cycle gas turbines, which do eat up eat up a lot of the environmental benefits and. Uh, efficiency benefits that you'd otherwise hope for. Well, thank so. you for telling about this. Uh, we, I'll have to um, right. go on to the next call because That's right. but I, I'm sure we'll do a program on this later when it gets up and running. As you know, Beyond Zero had that repower port, Augusta, ages ago. We've been behind this, and I think this will be a marvellous boost to South Australia if they get that going. So That's thank right. you, Thanks John. Very much, thank you very much. Hello. And I've got another caller. Yes, we do have another caller. Before we go to this caller, who is Claire O'Rourke, and thanks for your donation, Claire, much appreciated. May I just say that if you having problems uh, with the line being engaged on 91483777 can you please try the talkback number which is get a pen 94190155 so there's two numbers you can call um, to donate or to talk to us here in the studio that's 94198377 and the other number 94190155 are you there Claire? Oh, we seem to have oh, lost no, Claire. We've lost Claire. That's okay. We the next have one. On Claire O'Rourke is from Solar Citizens, and they're a marvellous group. They've made citizens who have polar solar panels on their roof a kind of lobby group, and they've actually, I think, been instrumental in changing the power in the Queensland government. The Queensland state election last time, they, they thought that they did because the solar citizens voted as a block. Okay, who else have we got? We've got Burned uh, on line three. Hello? Vivian, are you there, Burned? Hello. Vivian? Hello, Burned, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Uh, Can thank you, you hear me? <laughs> <laughs> Burned is a friend of mine from Sydney. Burned, what do you have to say about climate change? Well, first of all, I'd like to say it was interesting to listen to what Mr. Tom Houston just said. Yeah. In. And uh, one could only wish that his party could um, 
get back to him as a leader the way he spoke yeah. these days. Yeah. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like that's ever going to happen. But that's exactly what I think is the problem with, which is holding Australia back. We have we have too many. Oh dear, Bernd has dropped off. And may I take this opportunity to say and remind everyone that all donations over two dollars are tax deductible. Every little bit counts for us. And, you know, you have to cast your mind or your imagination to what life would be without, uh, without a, an independently minded community radio station. So, Andy, who have we got up next? We've got, uh, Claire back or? We've poss- got, uh, Christine Milne on line one. Lovely. Okay. Christine Milne. Hello, Christine. Hello. Thank you, and yourself. Thank you. I'm doing well. Thank you, Christine. We just lost one caller, so sorry to Bound who just was speaking to us, but I'm really um, very delighted that you've called us, Christine. What do you have to say at the moment? With uh, you've got your finger on the pulse of the election, we're not seeing climate change as the front and centre of everybody's minds. But what can we do in the last little few weeks to go? Well, I'd encourage everybody uh, to try and make global warming a number one issue in this election campaign because it is. We're living in a global emergency and in Tasmania last week we had both Bill Shorten and uh, Malcolm Turnbull here to inspect the damage from the floods. Both of them refused to join the dots and to use the word climate in relation to it. We're not building resilience, we're not planning for extreme weather events and I've just come back from the United States and you just see in California and Arizona... Um, right through Nevada, they are running out of water. If this is a crisis globally and we actually have to make sure that when people are in meetings, when you hear uh, media without and the mainstream media don't ask them about global warming, people need to ring those journalists and ask why they won't because it really is being left off the agenda. Well, that's a good point. My husband brings up on the refugee issue and they do put you through and you mightn't get to air, but they do, I think, have to take note of the comments and the public perhaps don't think it's any point. But I think there is a good point to ring up, at least the ABC do. What other activist thing can you tell people? I mean, the media is a huge part of the problem as far as I can see because they govern what we know. Exactly, and the mainstream media, it just beggars belief that in these leaders' debates, uh, the way that they're moderated, why is it that climate isn't a serious issue and isn't being engaged, and why is it on all the um, the programs that you get on, on current affairs on all of these channels that they just ignore it and you can't help but thinking that's a directive from above and that's why people need to comment on it. They need to be ringing, um, they need to be writing to the papers, they need to be using social media, but mainly they need to be actually asking the candidates, ring up the candidates, ask them where they stand and tell them that you won't vote for them. And it's a, it really is that case where as long as neither of the majors thinks they have... Um, that they don't have to worry about it in terms of how people vote, then they won't. And people really need to take it up to them because this is the issue that is overwhelming everything. And even in terms of just this uh, slogan that the Coalition has got on jobs and innovation, if you want to see jobs and innovation, it's there in renewable energy. If you want to see where... You are, there's real excitement. It is in the research community and rolling out and commercialising renewables and just seeing how fast they are overtaking the fossil fuel sector. It's, it's, that's where the excitement is and that's where people want to work. 
Well, Christine, you you are a great friend of um, our program. I've often interviewed you, and uh, I look forward to many more interviews because you're doing such a lot in the world on this issue. And like for me, you know, it's front and center for you. I can see in your life. But um, what what do you think about community radio? Because that's really what our radiothon is about, and we feel that you know we do pre- present a bit of an alternative to the mainstream radio. And it's fantastic. I have to say, with community radio, when I first started campaigning many years ago in 1987 on the pulp mill at Wesley Vale, it was 3CR who actually took up and spread the message in Victoria when we couldn't get it into the mainstream media there, and it was community radio, and I've never forgotten that. And over the years, 3CR has been consistent uh, in reporting environmental issues and bringing social justice issues as well to the fore, but Beyond Zero Emissions has been absolutely an exemplar. I, I just think they've done a fantastic job in mm, bringing lovely. people not, not just the headlines, but the detail, mm. actually following through on the detail, and it is independent, and my God, we need that when you've got the Murdoch press distorting uh, and destroying the renewable energy and climate message, we need independent media, and so I really congratulate 3CR and encourage people uh, to donate if they possibly can. Thank you. Thank you, Christine. You have to come down and work with us. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great plug. <laughs> Thank you, Christine. We'll go Thank on to you. the next caller now. Good luck. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you. And before, just to continue on that note, please don't forget our our two numbers. We've got uh, 03-9419-8377 and the other number is 03-9419-0155. Vivian, I do want to just mention um, this wasn't a caller who came through to us, but we had a Hal from Williamstown who's donated $25. That is so appreciated, Hal. Thank you so much. And that is a tax deductible donation too he needs to keep in mind yes Uh, so as christine just said uh, Australia has the most concentrated media ownership in the world and 3cr is more important than ever Having no one on the line. Oh, let's at go this to minute. The, yes, yeah. you've got something else to say. Yeah. Well, we were just sort of reflecting on some of the many and varied shows that you, Vivian, through a lot of um, yeah. uh, leather soul, is that the expression yeah. you brought to us over the last twelve months? I must say, the Bill McKibben one was a particular favourite. That was only a few weeks ago because he is such a erudite man in the uh, in the green sector yeah. and he has been such a uh, long-standing activist and he's just really good to listen to and just following on from what Christine said he mentioned in there in in that speech about the Franklin Dam uh, and winning in oh, Tasmania yeah. and that was a very heartening and uplifting show because I think we do lose sight of the fact that you can win. You need mm. to fight, but but uh, you can actually win, and there's been some significant wins, like well, talking to Julie yeah, Lifford before. That's right, and I hope that this program, actually, if you, Jane has created this list of, of all our shows in the last few years, but really it's a chronicle of a winning story because mm. we are occasionally winning. You know, and, and, and if you're there in Gloucester, as the guy at Mackay said, Peter said from Mackay, well, you know, they get hate mail or people don't, don't appreciate them, you know, going against perhaps mining 
getting jobs, but in the end they will prevail and in mm. the end we'll have a, a viable climate. Oh, you just have to believe it. Even if you're the biggest pessimist, you still mm. have to keep struggling. Mm. And we've got a, a, a little Vox Pops here. I, I, I was in um, Sydney and there's one uh, electorate called Graindler where the Greens, Jim Casey is a firefighter and Anthony Albanese is a very popular and more progressive part of the Labour Party so he's a popular candidate but the two of them are fighting it out so I went to that electorate there was a little skit and it wasn't from any political parties it was from a local group could you just play that um, Andy and we'll hear the voices of these people this is just ordinary citizens and as they were there they had a little um, street theatre thing with Anthony Albanese like a puppet of him sitting on a fence because he's sitting on the fence taking money from the fossil fuel companies mm. And giving subsidies to the fossil fuel. It's this corruption, you know, this sort of feeling that you don't subsidise something that's on the skids now, coal, and you should never be taking donations from the fossil fuels companies because... Or any of these big business interests, that's really. That's right, because it's, it's um, all wrong. So could you play that uh, short little excerpt of the street theatre in Albanese's electorate, please? I'm in the street at Marrickville and outside Anthony Albanese's electoral office and we've just heard uh, all these street theatre people doing a very funny little skit on how Anthony Albanese is sitting on the fence um, and he was being handed huge donations from the coal industry and he was handing out massive subsidies to them. Poor man, he can't get off that fence. But can you just tell me, these people are not political party associated at all, they're just a grassroots group, but tell us why did you come here? Uh, yes, so uh, you know, I'm here because our government have signed on to the Paris uh, Accord, uh, which everyone says they're serious about and they want to keep climate change to less than 2 degrees Celsius. Um, but in order to do that, they need to get serious about transitioning us away from fossil fuels, um, which means they have to stop handing out billions and billions and billions of dollars um, to some of the largest, most profitable companies in the world, these fossil fuel companies. Um, we have a budgetary crisis. We have a need to invest in renewables. And all this money that they're currently just giving away is tax, tax subsidies. Um, should be redirected towards these more worthwhile causes. Yeah, well, the headlines last week that we've passed 400 parts per million, does that give it an extra urgency for you? Oh, it certainly does for me. I find that totally scary for my children and even when they have grandchildren, for them as well, and just the whole world that's really, you know, suffering with the Pacific Islands sort of being drowned. And I just feel that, you know, if, unless we take action... Well, we're sitting on the fence too, and I really think that it's time the Australian government got off the fence and actually took action to, you know, at least to try and tackle head-on climate change. And uh, I'll be keeping going until they do that. They give lots of excuses like, oh, we're helping energy poverty in India or we're giving jobs to Australian miners. Are you convinced by those? Well, no, I'm not at all because really I think there's been multiple studies that have come out that have proven how many more jobs there are in sort of the renewable energy sector and how much more beneficial for our, our economy it would be to to invest money in that rather than giving subsidies to these out-of-date uh, industries. And as far as energy poverty in uh, India and China and the third world and places like that goes, I mean, um, surely they can get far more benefit from investing in renewable energy than they can from these old sources of uh, dirty coal. I mean, these are the people that at the end of the day are suffering the effects of climate change now. So for, you know, the people of India and things like that, I think it makes much more sense for Australia to sort of help them uh, invest in new green energy rather than continuing to ship off our, our dirty coal to them. Thank you very much. 
Okay, now we're going to have a song now. Now, this is hilarious. This is by Tiny Tim. If you remember, listeners, Tiny Tim, and there's a video that goes with this. I hope you can look onto YouTube. Tiny Tim, he's singing called The Ice Caps Are Melting. Tim and I, I hope you enjoyed that I think we might make this a bit of a theme listeners because we have to laugh sometimes the ice caps are melting as are the Himalayan glaciers as are the um, many many parts of the Antarctic shelf and so we have a dire situation the next little bit is from Radio EcoShock and I'd like to give a little thanks on air mm. to Alex Smith from EcoShock because we've replayed some of his interviews and he's taken some of ours as well so we're getting an international audience through him um, Alex interviewed a person in Pakistan about the recent heat wave. now this was really dire world records were set in India and Pakistan this year 51 degrees Celsius I don't know if yes. anyone can imagine mm. that but the people who are living there are not like us with well-built houses, some of them, certainly no fans and certainly no air conditioning, mm. and people are dying. Last year in Pakistan, a 1,000 people died during Ramadan, and they uh, were just knocked out by the heat wave. So but if, if people tend to think this is all happening overseas and it doesn't affect us, you've brought us quite a few shows, Vivian, about the, um, the dangers of uh, heat exhaustion even in Western countries like our own, oh, and one right. much-cited uh, statistic, uh, which I can never remember the numbers, but during Black Saturday, pe- more people died from from heat than died in the actual fires. So mm. over the course of that that uh, very hot summer, and that was one of our most moving shows. Do you remember that where they talked? Yes. The two people mm. came, um, mm. both of them writers, and one the woman her, her, her sister, sister died, mm. and, and uh, it, it, she just choked on the thought of this sister being in the house and locking herself in from her sort of paranoia and then dying of Mm. that heat Mm. on that terrible couple of days where there was Mm. no relief. So, but the next little uh, snatch I've got Mm. is from Alex Smith and it's in uh, a person from Pakistan called Dr. Adil Najam and he's just talking about those conditions for people in very poor countries in heat waves. Just listen to that and then we'll have some more callers. Before we just hear that, just take the number down, listeners. Oh, we're not really getting all the, li- all the calls I thought we'd get, so please, if you hear, if you, um, 
want to give us some money for the Radio 3CR Radiothon, call uh, 03 from outside Melbourne, 94198377. Okay, now we'll go to Pakistan. And is electricity for fans or air conditioning reliable in Karachi? Uh, no, it is not. It is not reliable anywhere in Pakistan. Uh, but here is the thing. Anyone who can afford a air conditioner, which is very, very few people, and now I'm talking in single-digit percentages, can probably afford to run it because they'll also afford a generator of some sort. Anyone who can afford a fan, and that is not something that everyone would have, probably is still has some some infrastructure to be able to survive and deal with this heat. The real issue is, and this is really the, the nub of climate change, that most people in a city like Karachi, but most people in this in, in the world do not have the paraphernalia of dealing with these things that you and I might take for granted, right? Uh, we, we would take it for granted that, yes, you are poor, but that means you'll probably have a fan. Well, that's just not true for most people, not only in Karachi, but actually in the world. And you have said half the deaths were preventable. What should national and state governments do to prepare for more heat events? Well, I think all of the deaths are preventable. Uh, first of all, uh, I am convinced that at least part of this, and we cannot say which part, is related to uh, climate change. And we, if even if this is not, we going to see more and more of that. And that means there's blood on your hands and mine. Right. So first, let's just start with that, that this this is not just nature happening on its own. Uh, this is you and I and those of us particularly who are more affluent, uh, having outsourced our misery by our lack of action on climate change. But that's that may be a more a more deeper conversation on an immediate level. I think that uh, and, and many believe that these are preventable because this is not a country that is not used to heat. B, heat is something that you can deal with. You can. It is a question of hydration. It's a question of not air conditioning as much as just getting water to people, uh, making it easier for people to get a regular intake of water during the day. You know, things that we kind of take for granted and never talk about, a shade, Right now you're talking about very poor people mostly working outside in intense heat at a time when, because as I said, because of Ramzan, the infrastructure of dealing with that heat is, is low. Simply not having trees in a city, right? It's a very simple thing. But if you have ever walked anywhere in the sun, whether for pleasure or out of necessity, after a little while, if there is some place of shade where you can just sit and rest for a while, it makes a huge difference. And all of these things sound very, very small, but they are not, especially when they add up in a multi-million person metropolis. And that's why these, these are entirely preventable things. The tragedy is that we as a planet, and even Pakistan as a country, has the ability to deal with these things. And it is the negligence of our generation that these things keep happening. This time it was Karachi, but you also saw this in India. You see this with droughts in Africa and in Asia all the time. So there is a pattern to this. Here is my bottom line. Uh, people do not die because of heat. People die because of the inability to deal with that heat. 
And that means they die because of poverty, they die because of bad decisions, they die because of a lack of development. If you're not absolutely furious, you're really not paying enough attention. The world's a shambles. So come along and join us in being active, and together we can make this world a more ethical place to live. You're listening to the Beyond Zero Emission Show, and we're doing our radiothon special today. The phone number to ring is nine four one nine eight three double seven. Now, Jane was talking to me a bit before about the reminiscing about the good shows we did, and we've just heard a, a little uh, speech from a Pakistani expert on heat waves in India, and that reminded me of a show we did called Black Carbon and the Warming of the World, and that was about a book about a man who went right up into the Himalayas and he found these villagers who were trying to survive as the glaciers were retreating, but then what he mostly found was the the way they cooked and all of their um, energy was formed from either kerosene burning or wood burning mm. and the whole thing was covered with carbon, and that mm. black carbon is a climatic forcer and the black carbon on the snow stops the snow reflecting and this is on a mass scale and there's a big fog over certain parts of India um, dense brownish sort of fog that shuts out the light so that was a revelation to me about um, you know how uh, black carbon soot that's another part not just Mm. burning coal and it's it's wood burning mm. as well, and mm. and he then explored all the different types of cooking, alternative cooking, and this mm. is this is where people can get excited. This is the good story about climate change. You will improve people's health if you improve their exposure or reduce their exposure to carbon. You know, if you just do that, those people had high levels of TB and respiratory disease, and he mm. des- described it. Jane, mm. well, and if we remember, I mean, it was only a few short months ago that they all the uh, what was it 180. Countries met in Paris and agreed to commit to a uh, under two degree warming, and uh, I certainly don't see uh, any policies in the run up to the election for Australia that would suggest that we're going to really contribute in any big way to that to that target. But we live in we live in hope, as Christine Milne said, and we've heard again and again and again on the show. What it needs is it needs a groundswell of public opinion to move these um, these opinion makers and these influential people. So get on the phone, call your local MP, write to the newspaper, all those sort of local actions and talk about it with your friends. Make it a, uh, what's that expression, a water cooler a water cooler topic. But thank you to Chris in Heidelberg Heights for his generous, generous donation and even more thanks for your nice comment to us, uh, Chris. Thanks. He said, keep up the good work, Vivian. Thank you for that because sometimes, uh, sometimes we feel that we're... Uh, you know, possibly not talking to as many people as we could be here sitting in the studio. Oh. It's hard to feel you all out there. <laughs> yeah, so we have David Watson on the line now, Vivian. Oh, and thank okay. you for your donation, David. That's lovely. Cheers. Hello. Hello, David. Hi, Vivian. How are you? Good, thank you. Beautiful day. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, tell us what you're up to, David. 
Well, we've got an exhibition. When I say we, uh, we're a group of Sydney-based artists who've been working against fossil fuel for the past few years. Um, we're called the Williams River Valley Artists Project, and this is our fourth anti-coal exhibition. Yep. This one will be in Sydney. Uh, it'll be part of a group show called Field Work, Artist Encounters at the Sydney College of the Arts in Roselle, and it'll be on for a month from the 6th of July until the 30th of July. Okay. And it's uh, our, our contribution is uh, a gallery entitled While We Sleep. And, of course, that can be interpreted in a few ways. Yeah. Uh, but particularly the fact that we are, I think, many of us, perhaps not us because we're <laughs> onto it, but many of the populace are asleep at the wheel. Because we're, we're on radio, David. Describe it. Yeah, well, it's an exhibition which will tease out all sorts of um, angles on um, fossil fuel. It'll be a, an audio-visual uh, show. It'll have sculpture. It'll have sound. There'll be some prayer wheels. There'll be some rather large and striking signage. There'll be photography. Uh, and it's all based around our visits to regional New South Wales and uh, uh, various workshops and uh, field trips we've done out uh, to the coal-affected areas, particularly of the Hunter, but also of Moores Creek. So we're talking about the little town of Walla, which is currently being monstered by Peabody, the large uh, US conglomerate, which is actually going broke in America. Yeah. Uh, Bolga, which is, sadly it appears, has lost their fight to oh. Rio Tinto oh. just recently. Yeah, that was one of our major stories. We've covered, covered that story for about four years, and that's dreadful that that's going yeah. to be expanded, isn't it? It's a Rio Tinto mine that's going to be expanded. Even then, we don't need any more coal. They can't get any price for coal, and they're just going to destroy that little town and all the people in it. No, it's obscene, particularly given what we now know. It's, uh, it should not be happening. Yeah. Uh, so yes, we're, we're adding our a small aesthetic contribution here in, yeah, the, in the world say, of visual art. Don't say it's small, David. You, um, you, David has done lots of artwork. I've seen several of his exhibitions, but one of the most impressive ones was a series of Australian stamps when they were 70 cents, and it's a poster, but it's got the stamp on it, but instead of the usual sort of um, bland subjects, he's got people locking on, and I think there is going to be a massive lock-on on the 23rd of June in Sydney. People are going to do a massive lock-on. You know. Oh, well, that's yes. the first I've heard of that. Well, Thank you New for South Wales me. Parliament, I think. Okay, you, good. I'll send you an email if I, if I get any more details. But in, but David's art, I'm just telling the listeners that you have people, pictures, there's one poignant one, looks like a girl being crucified. She's lying on the ground, it's dark brownish, and she's got this pink sort of shirt, and her arms are both in sort of bits of piping. Explain well, where that was. Well, what that's that actually means. a 22-year-old Chantel Brown, a student who is, uh, I think, now in Brisbane, but comes from Warhope on the New South Wales North Coast, who had locked on uh, to a massive barrel, 44-gallon drum of uh, concrete, and with great metal spikes coming out of it. And they actually called that the echidna up at Moores Creek. That was one of the most difficult uh, lock-on devices to remove. And so Chantel is lying on her back on the road, uh, stopping transport to Whitehaven Coles Mine. And the other stamp fe features uh, a rather well-known rugby union player. Uh, and, yeah. uh, his uh, image was on the front of our national newspapers a year, year and a half a year ago, David Pocock, who, of course, nearly won us the World Cup about six months ago. 
And as many of your listeners would know, he is a remarkable man, not only on the field, but off the field. Yeah, well, he gives football a good name as far as I'm concerned. Putting his, uh, yes, his reputation where I think we probably need some more high-profile people doing similar acts. And he locked on to a super digger with Rick Laird, who was a fifth-generation farmer from Uh Balls Creek. And a very felt action and a rather striking image. So that's another one of my stamps. And they'll well, be on show at this exhibition. Thank you, David. So it's not a small contribution. It's massive because those things linger in the mind. And, you know, art, I'm sure it does. It just lingers with us. So thank you very much for your donation. But more to the point, thank you for talking to us on air. Thanks. And, and keep up the good work, Vivian. Thank you, David. And all of you there. Thank Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks. And next up, we've got Rod Campbell from Western. And Rod, uh, just in advance, thank you for your donation. Hello, Rod. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thanks, Vivian. How are you? Good. I've just heard about Bulger from the last caller. He said that Bulger is now going to the wall and Woolar. You, you're you an economist. Can you tell us how you've helped those communities, you know, get the best argument up? Yeah, sure. So, so I'm an economist at the Australia Institute, which is a public policy think tank based in Canberra. And we've had quite a lot to do with... Uh, with coal mining and uh, how it works in the planning process and I guess at a higher policy level of if we need any more of it and what state and federal government policies are relevant. Um, But, I mean, I guess a part of the Australia Institute's work that I I like the most is actually getting out to the Hunter and I've been to Bulga several times. I've been through Walla. I've actually never stopped. Um, And, yeah, really... Getting to, getting to know some of the communities there. So the Australia Institute had both me and uh, Richard Dennis, who's our well-known former executive director. We both appeared in the New South Wales Land and Environment Court as expert witnesses uh, on the big court case over the Bulga village and the neighbouring uh, Mount Thorley Walkworth mine. And so, yeah, Richard and I uh, gave evidence looking at the economics of that and, and basically looking at how Rio Tinto had exaggerated the jobs claims and economic impact of their project to get their project approved, uh, really, really you know, let's say, it, based on shonky economic modelling. Mm. Do you so, think a lot of these projects get through because they don't have friends like you who are prepared to just go through all those dry figures and, and find exactly what you found? Um, look, I think people like me and like Richard Dennis and the Australia Institute and economists at large, you know, we're all very useful as long as you've got a grassroots community that is uh, organised, passionate uh, and genuinely representative of their community. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, yeah, I, I think... I played, me and the Australia Institute played quite a big part uh, in that court win, along, of course, with EDO New South Wales, fabulous organisation. Uh, and But most importantly, you know, along with the Bulga community. Thank so, you, Dave. Yeah, I, I often say to people, you know, it, you know, Australia Institute is, you know, we are relatively Right, I'll have to profile. cut you off there. Sorry, I'll have to cut you off there. We're right at the end of the program. <laughs> but I admire you and you're doing marvellous work. Okay. So, as you said, your tribute to the smaller communities, that's 
That's really what where it's at. So thank you so much for calling in today and giving us a donation. Thank you. Now we've um, got no time at all. We've got no time. So thank you to everyone who's donated um, this evening. That's fantastic. You can still donate just because we're off air in thirty seconds. Thanks to the team. There's myself, Andy, Viv, James, Roger, Joey, Jody, and Teddy. With special thanks to Alex Smith from Radio Eco Shocking in uh, Canada. Thanks also to the Friday team. Don't forget to tune in eight thirty. AM on Friday, Laura Kay, Michael Glenn and Miwa, but especially tonight, thank you to all the groups represented by the callers and some of the groups who didn't actually call in but you you all collectively have contributed money tonight to keep us on air, but the ser- their service is also in the hours and their intensity of action out there, inspiring others to take uh, climate action in all its forms every day, it's very noble I just want to give a plug to you Vivian you're fabulous, thanks so much much and we'll see you all next week.